May the words of my lips and the thoughts of all our hearts be now and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to say just a, a few words this morning, and really in, in two halves. Um, firstly, just a, a few words about uh, this uh, little study course that we're about to embark on uh, as, as St. Christopher's. It's called Living in Love and Faith, and it's something which the Church of England nationally is doing, and it's something that our bishop has asked us to do. So we're going to have a few sermons looking at these issues, and we're also going to uh, have a couple of study groups. Um, there's a, um, a leaflet which came out in the email last week, um, which just sets out a few sort of um, pointers as to how we're going to do this. This Living in Love and Faith course, <coughs> excuse me, is trying to ask the church to look at some subjects which traditionally it's found really difficult to look at. They're subjects around identity, sexuality, relationships, and marriage. These are subjects that the church has struggled to talk about and has struggled to sort of find a way to uh, consider. And uh, for many years, really, it's simply been too difficult too difficult to look at them. Um, but the Church of England has now said, please, will every church try? So that's what we're going to try and do over the next few weeks. We're not going to spend months on it. We're just going to spend a few weeks on it. And uh, um, as I said to PCC on Sunday, or on Monday, I'm really looking forward to Christmas because we'll be done. Okay. But I do think these are important questions. As I say, the bishop has asked us to look at them. We come under his authority. We don't worship him or follow him in the way that we follow our Lord, but we do come under his authority. So if he asks us to do something, we need a good reason to say no. Secondly, <coughs> and I'm conscious of the presence of some of these strange creatures, but it seems to me that young people are talking and thinking about these issues all the time. And uh, it's very much part of their currency. And to somehow say that the Christian gospel, the message of good news, is not good news in this area, is almost like saying to them that these questions are too difficult for God. And I believe passionately that they are not. And thirdly, and, and finally, if I may say so, as I mentioned in the, just now, it's been difficult for the church to look at these subjects. So difficult that generally, I think it's fair to say, nine times out of ten, most churches have not done it because they have been scared. Can I say, I don't want us to be scared. St John tells us that perfect love drives out all fear. Fear should not be part of what it means to belong to the people of God. We certainly shouldn't be frightened at bringing subjects that are happening around us into the light of the gospel to see what it says. So let's not be frightened, okay? The bishops asked us to do it. Young people are talking about it all the time. 
let's not be frightened. These seem to me to be at least three really good reasons why we should talk about this. But, and I promise I'll stop this bit in a minute, if it is something that causes you genuine worry, and as I speak, I'm conscious that you know, some may be following us on Zoom and some may be listening to this later on in the week. If this is something which causes you genuine worry, if you feel crumbs, if the church changed its opinion on this, then I'm not sure I could stay. Can I say to you, I am really wanting to do this gently and sensitively. And I don't want anyone to feel that their view is somehow unvalid, invalid, unimportant. The chances are most of us have a view on a spectrum. There'll be people at either extremes and then there'll be all sorts of shades in between. Every single one of those views is valid and welcome and important. And if anyone is ever sitting in a meeting feeling that they can't say what they want to say, then we have failed. I want everybody to be able to say what they want to say. And then finally, before I start on the passage, I want to say these are important questions, but they are not the most important questions. If we, we uh, say the creed most Sundays, these questions are not in the creed. The creed doesn't tell us about marriage and relationships and sexuality and gender. It doesn't. So whatever else we might think about these questions, however important they are, can I say to you, and I say this as a vicar who is waking up in the middle of the night, okay? <laughs> they are not worth leaving the church over. They are not our primary beliefs. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The creed tells us what is our core beliefs, and these things are not in it. So however important they are, and however important it is that we talk about them, however important it is that we grow and develop in our own understanding, please, they are not worth leaving the church over. Okay, so what do we make of the passages we've had this morning? Can I say to you, I... <laughs> Are you, <coughs> are, I've done, okay, done lateral flow, I'm fine, I'm not, I've got the lurg, okay? Are you an either or, or a both and person, okay? Are you an either or, or a both and person? Have a think about that. When you come up, when you come to sort, sort of problems or questions, are you, it's this or it's that, or both and? We've had two passages this morning. And uh, I'll, I'll explain in a moment why I asked Joe to, to read through all those names, okay? The first passage is, in many ways, where we start. Where we start. Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2 tell us, don't they, of the glorious story of God's creation. Genesis 1 has the seven days of creation, that, that beautiful sort of majestic sweep, the big picture of creation. And Genesis chapter 2 has the, the small one, the detailed one, this beautiful picture of, of God uh, creating Adam and breathing into his nostrils and putting him in the garden and bringing the creatures to him so that he can name them. 
this wonderful relationship of, of love and intimacy and, and of delight, that God delights in the man that he has made. And despite all the goodness that is around, there is only one thing that is not good, and it's not good for the man to be alone. And then we get this, this delightful story, which has caused some people over the years to, to get a, a, a bit hot under the collar, but I don't think we need to. But it's just a delightful story about the man being put into a deep sleep and a rib taken, and out of that rib, the woman is made. And there is this uh, just explosion of praise and delight as she is brought to the man. And, she, and he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. There is, written into biblical creation, this complementarity, this togetherness, this male and female. It's there in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. And whatever else we say, whatever else we might go on to say, this is where we start and this is where we should celebrate that this is how God has created us. He has created us with this complementarity at the heart of his creation. And you get this little sort of footnote that the Genesis writer tells us, just in case we haven't got it. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Written into creation, this complementarity and this picture of leaving, being united, and then becoming one flesh. This is our foundation but this is Genesis chapter 1 and 2. There's an awful lot of the scriptures which then follow. And the reason that I asked uh, Joe to read those, all those long words from Matthew chapter 1 are because they are delightful. They're delightful for lots of reasons, but particularly for the women that crop up in this story. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Tamar. Anyone, anyone familiar with that story? <laughs> the story of Tamar is really disturbing. It's really disturbing. Okay, Judah, one of the 12 sons of Jacob, one of the heads of the tribes. And of course, Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. Judah takes a wife and has three sons. Tamar is married to his first son and he dies. Tamar then marries the next son, and he dies. And Judah's worried. He's thinking, if I marry her off to the third one, he's going to die as well. So he shoves her away, which is not what he's supposed to do, because he's supposed to look after her. And she knows that's not what he's supposed to do. So when Judah's wife dies, Judah has this period of mourning, and then he, he goes off to see some friends. Tamar hears that he's coming, and she sits by the... Uh, by the roadside and Judah goes over to her assuming that she is a prostitute and sleeps with her he tries to shoo her away with a, with a goat have a goat, off you go she won't have it 
She's got a sort of sign of him. that She's got like a, a sort of a seal and a cord that says it's him, a bit like his calling card. And then the, eventually the news gets back to Judah. Your ex-daughter-in-law is pregnant. And he says, bring her out and burn her. And they are doing that when she sends word, I am pregnant by this man. And Judah has to come out and say, I'm sorry. This woman is recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. This story gets wrapped up in the story of Jesus. You might notice there's also Rahab. You may remember that Rahab is a prostitute in Jericho. And when the the people of Israel under Joshua's leadership are about to cross over the promised land, they go to, to scout it out and they go into Jericho and Rahab looks after them. And she is recorded as one of the heroines of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She's a prostitute. We think of Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Probably also, all of of these women are probably non-Jews. And Bathsheba is terribly, terribly exploited. You remember the story. David, who should be out with his men at the fighting, he's wandering around on on the roofs of the palace and he sees this woman having a bath. It's very confusing. She's having a bath. She's called Bathsheba. And he says, no, I want, you know, get her here. Sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. He ends up having her husband killed. Why am I dwelling on these? Okay, I'm dwelling on them because what follows after Genesis 1 and 2 is very, very messy. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba. Ruth is also mentioned. Ruth is a Gentile. No uh, suggestion that... (laughs) She has, uh, as it were, had such sexual adventures as the others. She's still a Gentile. And she is called in. These four women play their part in the story. And they play their part in the story that leads us to Jesus. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called Messiah. All this mess, frankly, all this wrongdoing and exploitation of women does not stop God from doing his thing. It does not stop God from fulfilling his purposes. It does not stop us getting to Jesus. So what am I trying to say? Let's celebrate what we know. That this male-female thing is written into creation. It is something that we should celebrate. It is something foundational in scripture and in the church's life. Let's celebrate that and never be afraid to do so. But let's also remember that life is terribly, terribly messy. And when it's messy, let's not say, tidy it up. 
sort yourself out. Let's remember that God uses mess to get people to Jesus. Amen.